And we will be in 1 Kings chapter 12 today. And let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are so gracious and good that we can look to you in all seasons of life, whether it's raining, the sun is shining, you are there, and you provide for all of our needs so bountifully. We pray that you would give us insight through your word today, that we would hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, and that we would walk in obedience to it. Give us increased faith, Lord, to follow you, to seek you, and to be about your business till you come. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you guys like trying to predict plot twists in sports or movies, or even in real life? You're like, this is what's going to happen, and you like to predict. And it's very satisfying when you actually call it. When you call it and you're right, you're like, yeah, I called that. There, there's a bit of, uh, like, right, I did it. Now, Hollywood can be fairly cliche and predictable, and you can almost move the mouth of the actor before they say that line, that pithy retort when they are getting revenge, and you just know what they're going to say, and, uh, like, surprise me. Um, now, God, he allows plot twists in our lives that are completely unexpected, and in the the lives of people and nations. He raises up kings and he puts them down. And these unexpected plot twists, they give us an opportunity to trust God and to obey him, to look to him. Because the, the stuff that's thrown at you that you feel came out of nowhere and the troubles that we face, the thing that shocks you, the thing that knocks you around, that can be of God. And we're going to read about that today in 1 Kings 12. Instead of working to destroy us, these plot twists, these trials and tribulations, they actually work for our good. They work for the glory of God in our lives. And we can mistakenly think that if something bad happens, the devil must be behind it. If there's division and rebellion and disobedience. But we'll see that God even allows that to accomplish his purposes. He's sovereign over what we might call bad or good, things that are bad. God is sovereign over that. And we can trust him. The question is, when things are challenging us, when we are knocked off our feet, are we going to be seeking the Lord and looking to him, seeking his guidance, or look to our own heart, to our own ideas of what's right and what's wrong? Last week, we started exploring what led up to the division between the southern and northern tribes of Israel. God had established David as king over a unified kingdom and greatly expanded under his rule beyond what Saul had. And then Solomon, his son, was raised up in his stead, and he reigned for 40 years. And it was a golden age of prosperity and wealth, peace. God gave them uh, prosperity and, and peace on every side. Yet we saw that later in his life, Solomon turned, his heart turned away from the Lord, and he turned to idolatry, because of the many foreign wives he had. And he facilitated the worship of their idols by building high places all around Jerusalem to all these false gods. And because of his sin, God raised up adversaries against him. And he also promised through the prophet uh, that he would tear away ten tribes from Solomon, actually Rehoboam, his son, and give them to his servant, Jeroboam. And after reigning 40 years in Jerusalem, Solomon died, and our passage begins with the coronation of his son, Rehoboam, in 1 Kings chapter 12. 
And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. So it happened when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard it, he was still in Egypt, for he had fled from the presence of King Solomon and had been dwelling in Egypt, that they sent and called him. Then Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke which he put on us, and we will serve you. So he said, Depart from three days, then come back to me. And the people departed. Rehoboam traveled to Shechem. That's the mountain country of Ephraim for his coronation, perhaps a sign of goodwill to the northern tribes. It was a, a central area, and um, he went there for his coronation. Shechem was famous because it's the place where God first appeared to Abraham, where Joseph had been buried, and the place where Joshua had gathered the people at the end of his life, and they renewed that covenant to follow God as his people. Jeroboam, he, we talked about him last week. He's this industrious man that Solomon singled out and said, I'm going to make you ruler over all of the laborers from Ephraim when you're rebuilding uh, the terraces around Jerusalem. But he later tried to kill Jeroboam when it was revealed through Ahijah the prophet that he was the one to whom God was going to give the ten tribes of Israel. And after Solomon's death, Jeroboam, it says, he returned from Egypt with this delegation to speak to the king about his policies when he's being crowned. And they said, your father made our yoke heavy through taxation, through forced labor. And they said, if, if you agree to lighten our load a bit, we'll serve as faithful subjects. Now, it's worth mentioning that they made no, they had no issue or they did not mention Solomon's idolatry. That didn't seem to bother them, but the taxation and the labor, that was a problem. And they said, lighten that load a bit, and we'll be your servants forever. Um, verse 6, then Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived. And he said, how do you advise me to answer these people? And they spoke to him saying, if you will be a servant to these people today and serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. But he rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him, who stood before him. And he said to them, what advice do you give? How should we answer this people who had spoken to me saying, lighten the yoke which your father put on us? Then the young men who had grown up with him spoke to him saying, thus you should speak to the people who have spoken to you saying, your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, my little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. Oh. Yeah, that's pretty hardcore. First, Rehoboam, he goes to the men who advised his dad, King Solomon. And they urged Rehoboam, listen to the people. Listen to what they're saying. Be a servant. To the people. If you serve these people, if you listen to what they're saying, they'll serve you. They'll, they'll follow after you. Solomon had used forced labor and taxes to build the temple, houses for himself and his wives, the armory. He repaired the terraces. There was a lot of economic investment in Jerusalem. It doesn't talk about a lot of, of the wealth going outside of, of uh, Solomon's place in Jerusalem. Now, the country had experienced prosperity and wealth, but they said, will you just 
lighten our load, being mindful of the service we've rendered, and the idea of serving the people, that he was not interested in that. I mean, he's a king. Rehoboam's like, I'm the king. I, I don't feel any need to do this. And it says in verse 8 that he rejected their counsel straight away. And because he didn't like their counsel, he went to his buddies. He went to his mates, those who had grown up with him. He sought the advice of his peers, men who knew nothing about famine and war or rebellions, men who were wealthy, proud. This shopping for advice is quite common today, isn't it? Just keep asking until someone says something that appeals to you and you go with that. Uh, notice what Rehoboam said to his peers. He says, how should we answer this people? Not how do you say I should answer, but how should we? He had united himself with them in friendship, and they were going to have an influence on him. Good or ill. And the friends that we join ourselves to, they will have an impact on us. They will influence us. So we need to choose our friends carefully. You saw that Rehoboam's peers, they had a very different policy suggestion than those older men. They said, say my little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. You know, show these peasants who's in charge, who the real king is. Have a show of power, a bit blustery, threaten them. Uh, your dad ch chastised them with whips, you know, that stung a bit. But you're going to rip the skin off their backs with scourges. Like, if, if you think things were tough then, you just wait. Things are going to get a lot worse. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 18.23, The poor man uses entreaties, but the rich answers roughly. Like the poor man, he has no recourse. He must beg. And, and he's humble. And if he had come to them in humility... Perhaps there would have been a different outcome, as we'll see. But he answered roughly, because he didn't have to be polite. Or at least he didn't think he should be. Didn't have to be. The rich answers arrogantly because he can have his demands met without even asking. He can just pay for it. Rehoboam, he spends three days seeking counsel from the elders, from his peers. Strangely, he never seeks counsel of God. He never sought the counsel of God. And we shouldn't re fault Rehoboam as if we're better because we've done the same thing many times. We've sought the counsel or the approval from friends or uh, professionals rather than humbly seeking the Lord first. And that's, that's the important thing is that we seek the Lord first. Let me say, though, it will accomplish nothing if we seek the Lord without faith in him and an intent to obey whatever he says. If we don't come to him with that poor in spirit, with that humility, saying, Lord, guide me in this because I'm going to do what you say, because I trust you and believe in you, then you can inquire of the Lord all the time and it's not going to make any difference. Turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. This is really neat because it shows us the conditions of God's guidance. Proverbs 3, starting in verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. See the conditions of being directed by God. Instead of relying on your experience or your wisdom or your gut or the counsel of people, it says, Trust God with all your heart. 
Acknowledge him in all your ways. Then he'll direct your path. You will see where to go. The, the reign of King Saul provides a great example in this. Remember King Saul early in his reign, he was humble, but it wasn't long before he was lifted up with pride. And there was one point where the enemy, he could hear something going on and uh, he was about to inquire of the Lord. And the Ark of the Covenant was there and, and he was saying the priest was going to make intercession, but he says, stay your hand. Like, I've got this. God, I've got this figured out. And he went on and they had a great victory, but it wasn't because of him. It was because of his son, Jonathan, and his faith in God. He blew the, Saul blew the trumpet. He got some credit for it before men. That's what he craved. And then God had told him what to do later. He said, wait to sacrifice. He disobeyed. He sacrificed when he shouldn't have. And then God said, destroy the Amalekites completely. But he didn't. He saved the best for himself. It should not be surprising, therefore, at the end of his reign when he desperately sought God because the Philistines were coming and God didn't say anything. God was silent. God was silent because all those other times he had disobeyed God. He refused to listen to God. He ignored what God had said because he's like, I've got this. And he's like, you've got this? You've got it. It's all on you now. And he fell on his own sword. It was all his own doing, self-inflicted wounds because he was lifted up with pride. God gave Rehoboam ample opportunity to seek him, much more than three days. But he preferred the counsel of men, and he cherry-picked the counsel that he would listen to. 1 Kings 12, verse 12. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king had directed, saying, Come back to me the third day. Then the king answered the people roughly and rejected the advice which the elders had given him. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. So the king did not listen to the people, for the turn of events was from the Lord, that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord had spoken by Ahijah the Shilonite, to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. On the third day, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, all the people gathered together to hear that answer. And Rehoboam, he foolishly dismissed the counsel of the elders, and he spoke to them roughly, as his friends suggested. And he even used their cool little catchphrases, like, uh, you know, to, to really make an impact. Um, he didn't refute the fact that his dad had made their burden heavy. He didn't say, well, guys, you had it really good. He says, yeah, my dad made your burden heavy, but I'm going to make it way heavier. This scheme of raising taxes and scourging people for their pains, it was political suicide. Nobody was interested in having a king that just wanted to wound them and to hurt them and would not listen to them and did not care about them. Blinded with self-interest, the king refused to listen to the people. Verse 15, it explains, the turn of events was from the Lord. It fulfilled the words spoken through Ahijah the prophet. It's so cool that God's ways are higher than ours, that his plans are good. We're unable to know the hearts of people or even our own heart fully. The decisions of men that are freely made, they do not undermine the sovereignty of God and the things that he will accomplish. 
God used that harsh answer of Rehoboam to accomplish exactly what he said would happen. And Rehoboam had it exactly as he wanted. And yet it came to this result that the kingdom would be split. It was God's doing, but he didn't force anything. God's involvement in this situation, it shows that we can lay the blame at the feet of people for an outcome that was God's doing. We could blame Rehoboam, like, hey, he was stupid. He didn't, listen. he didn't seek God's counsel, and he did the wrong thing. But the thing was of the Lord, and it was going to happen one way or another. God would see it done. Beyond the reckoning or wisdom of men, despite our expectations, God has those plot twists that are a shock to us, but he knew it. He knew what would happen. Verse 16, now when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king saying, what share have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Now see to your own house, O David. So Israel departed to their tents. But Rehoboam reigned over the children of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah. Then Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was in charge of the revenue, but all Israel stoned him with stones, and he died. Therefore, King Rehoboam mounted his chariot in haste to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. Rehoboam refused to listen to the people. That harsh answer prompted ten tribes to rebel. They weren't of the tribe of Judah. Like, what benefit is us to serve you? you? You do your own thing. We'll do ours. Some arrogant son of David who doesn't even listen to us or care about us, you're on your own. And so they bailed. When Jeroboam saw that those tribes departed, it seems like he, I mean, when Rehoboam saw that, he thought, man, this is just talk. And so he was going to, he sent the tax collector to go collect from the people. Now, this man, Adoram, he was a notable ruler that Solomon had placed over the labor force. So he was known in 1 Kings 4.6 and 1 Kings 5.14. And it's like, they know him, they may not know me, but they'll respect him. Well, he was stoned with stones. And then it got real. He realizes this is not, this is not good. Being in Shechem, he quickly hopped into his chariot and made a beeline back to Jerusalem where he could be safe because he felt the threat of uh, their vengeance against him. And for the next 400 years, the kingdom would remain divided between the northern and the southern kingdom. Verse 20, Now it came to pass, when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had come back, they sent for him and called him to the congregation and made him king over all Israel. There was none who followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. And when Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against the house of Israel, that he might restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of, the, of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, You shall not go up, nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Let every man return to his house, for this thing is from me. Therefore they obeyed the word of the Lord and turned back according to the word of the Lord. God had promised Jeroboam he was going to rip those ten tribes away from Rehoboam and give them 
to him to rule over, and God brought it to pass. When Israel heard that Jeroboam had come back from Egypt, now that the threat of his life was threat against his life was over, they called him before the people and made him king. He had been promoted. Um, it's like he's a man of Ephraim. He was sympathetic to their struggles. He was the people's choice. He was the perfect fit. It seemed like there was no one else that they would even suggest that should be king over them. So Jeroboam was the guy. They all saw it, and uh, God's word came to pass. Now, I have a couple of slides I wanted to show of maps. And so this, I like to point this out. In the back of your Bible, there are maps, and maps can actually be useful. You can use them to learn something. So this gives us a little picture of, uh, if you can give me that first slide. So this is how the tribes were first laid out after they came out of Egypt. And I don't know if you can see that that well, but Jerusalem is right here in the land of Benjamin. If you can go to the next one. So this darker area in the middle is the area that King Saul ruled over. The larger pink area is the area conquered by David and that tan area up top, that orange area, that was an area under Solomon's economic control. So you see the kingdom just grew greatly under the rule of David and Solomon. And now this next picture is the divided kingdom. So you have Judah with Jerusalem there. And this is an area right here. You can barely see it probably, but Bethel. And then at the very top of the green, Dan. Those are two areas that we're going to talk about. Uh, so you see the top and the bottom of that green area, that's the other 10 tribes of Israel, and Benjamin and Judah were one. So hopefully that gives you a better idea of the geography of the region as we continue on. Thanks for that. After running for his life back to Jerusalem, Rehoboam moves to strike down the rebellion. He gets uh, fighting men from Benjamin and Judah, 180,000 of them, to take the country back by force since his sloppy, uh, I guess, attempt at diplomacy had failed terribly. But the word of the Lord came through the man of God that he was not to go up or to fight against the brethren, the children of Israel. Let everyone return from their house, for this thing is from me. God forbade them to fight against the children of Israel. He says, go home. And he tells them why. He says, this thing is from me. Knowing that something is from God, doesn't that impact the way that you view it? If you knew that like, this is of the Lord, if you fight against that thing, you're really fighting against God, right? So go home. That's what you're supposed to do. This thing is from me. Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes 7, 13 and 14. Consider the work of God. For who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. Surely God has appointed the one as well as the other, so that man can find out nothing that will come after him. God's ways have these incredible plot twists, these turns, where we say, there's no way that could be of God. Division, rebellion, difficulties that the kingdom would be split, that Israel would not be under one king. Well, they, hadn't been, they had been under God before, and then they demanded a king. God gave them a king, and then that king was unfit, 
and God raised up other kings. Because I'm not God, I don't always know what is from God, right? Because his ways are higher than mine. But when we submit to God in faith and obedience, he will lead us to take appropriate action. They had not sought the Lord, but the Lord spoke to them through the prophet. And he said, don't go up, go home. They hadn't sought the Lord in the first case, but God was still faithful to speak to them to prevent bloodshed and further problems. This thing was from him. So when we seek the Lord, and even when we don't seek the Lord, God is gracious and faithful. So your hearing from God doesn't always depend upon your, I guess, piety to seek him. Because he's gracious. Praise him for that. 1 Kings 12, verse 25. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelt there. Also he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Therefore the king asked advice, make two calves of gold and said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set one up in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. Rehoboam went up to Shechem for his coronation, and that's the place where Jeroboam decided to take up residence. It's quite, it's that central area. He could keep an eye. He would be closer to the border, the new dividing line between the northern and the south. It was a good situation. He built it up, and he lived there. He also built up Penuel, which is on the other side of the Jordan. Remember, there were tribes that had settled on the other side, the east side of the Jordan. And that was a way for him to solidify his rule there. So he did some investment over there. He built up that city and put his stamp on it. So people are like, oh, King Jeroboam. That is a city that Gideon destroyed after defeating the Midianites. He had asked for help, and they go, well, we're not going to help unless we know that you've already won. And so he's like, I'll be back. And when I'm back, I'll teach you a lesson. And he did. He taught them a lesson. I don't know that they lived to learn that lesson, but I think the people, other people saw it and went, ooh, better be careful. God gave Jeroboam this kingdom graciously, but he foolishly believed that it was his scheming that would allow him to retain it. When God had given him a promise that I will establish you, I will give you a house, an enduring house, if you'll obey me and keep my commandments, but Jeroboam, he sought to do things his way. He gave a place to fear, worry, and insecurity. He knew that the law required people to go to Jerusalem three times a year. All the males were to go and present themselves before the Lord. They, they were to bring the tithes and offerings to the priests in the temple. And he said, if these people are going there, following the law, they might become loyal to Rehoboam over me. And if they become loyal to him, well, they're going to kill me. I won't have a kingdom, and I won't be around to see it. And this lack of faith, it resulted in being in very suspicious of other people. So he's, he needs to do something to keep the loyalty of the people. Rehoboam had asked count, counsel of elders 
and his friends, Jeroboam, he sought advice from his own heart. He sought counsel from himself. He had recently returned from Egypt, and he went in the error of Aaron, who also made a golden calf when they came out of Egypt, and he said, hey, Israel, here's your God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now Jeroboam does the same thing, except he doubles up, he doubles down on it. He puts one in the south, and he puts one in the north. And he told the people, it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. In the name of convenience, with self-serving motives, Jeroboam, he establishes government-sanctioned worship of God away from Jerusalem, contrary to the law. So it's this utilitarian, politically expedient, convenient worship that he offered. What Jeroboam failed to observe is that acceptable worship of God requires obedience to God, and obedience to God always requires sacrifice. There is a cost to obedience, and it may mean going somewhere. It may mean spending something. It may mean not doing something. Like, they wanted to fight, and he's like, hey, go home. Don't fight. Don't fight for what you want. This thing is from me. Jeroboam didn't set up those idols to give honor to God, but in a vain and foolish attempt to try to manipulate and control people for his own ends. And he followed a religion that's common today, that that one that's devised in your own heart that led to great sin. The people in the northern kingdom generally were quite pleased to use these uh, convenient locations. If it's good enough for their king, it's good enough for them. Solomon had built high places all over Jerusalem to worship idols. So what's the difference of them having these shrines to worship God? Like there was a lot of confusion that had been years coming, and a departure from the truth of Scripture led to so many errors. You may not be a king, but your friends, your spouse, your mates, they will be impacted by your example. Obedience to God always means sacrifice. It may mean getting up in the morning and driving in the rain and coming to church because God has directed you to do so. Sacrifices given on our own terms are not acceptable sacrifices just because they're costly, but because it's in faith and obedience to God. That's what makes it acceptable. If it's on our own terms, it's nothing more than a bribe. We're just trying to get something out of God by giving him something. And that's what Jeroboam was doing. He didn't care about God as far as honoring God only. He wasn't trusting God. He was afraid for himself, and that prompted his worship, which wasn't acceptable worship. You know, it's never too much for you to obey what God has commanded, where he says, it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Oh, it's too hard. If God tells you to do something, he will give you the strength to do it. He will provide the resources to do it. It's not too hard to do the thing that God has told you to do. It is hard for us sometimes. It's always hard for us to lay down our will and to humble ourselves before him. But even that, he supplies the ability to do by his grace. He's the one who's working in us both to will and do of his good pleasure. Worship of God 
was not worship because it was inconvenient, but because it was done in faith to honor God, the one who's revealed himself as Lord and rules over all. But Jeroboam wasn't done. Verse 31, he made shrines on the high places and made priests from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. Jeroboam ordained a feast on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the feast that was in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did at Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And at Bethel, he installed the priests of the high places which he had made. So he made offerings on the altar which he had made at Bethel at the 15th day of the eighth month. In the month which he had devised in his own heart, and he ordained a priest for the children of Israel and offered sacrifices on the altar and burned incense. In addition to those two calves, he began to build high places all over. And he consecrated priests from every class of people. It would be a low class of people. Because those who were worthy of the role, those who were Levites and priests, would not dishonor God through this idolatry because they knew it was sin. And he ordained a feast day. The Passover, that's on the first month, the 15th day. The Feast of Tabernacles, that was on the seventh month, on the 15th day. So he's like, hey, we're going to have a celebration on the eighth month, the 15th day. So it, it... looked a lot like the other sort of uh, sacrifices and ceremonies they would have. And it says, and uh, throughout this whole passage, it's like doing the things he had made. He did this. He made this. He made this. He devised it in his own heart, and he put it into action. And Israel just went after it. And it says he did so according to which he had devised in his own heart and Solomon wrote truly in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And that is literal right here. Where he was going in the way that his heart was going, he's like, this is the way I'm going to keep the people. But he was not trusting God. It led the nation headlong into sin and departure from God, whom they were supposedly worshiping and believing in. There's a lot that can pass today, um, even in our own lives, that's little more than us following our own hearts, following the traditions of men, or uh, following the example that someone else has set for us. And that shows us the value and the necessity to follow the Word of God, to let that be our guide and our standard of what pleases God and who He is. There's one God, there's countless false gods, Countless idols that people worship. It seems in Israel, as we go on through the northern kingdom, for every true prophet of God, there were hundreds of false prophets. Right? Those hundreds of prophets of Baal. And Elijah's like, I'm the only one. Now, he wasn't the only one, but they were dwarfed. The, the, the righteous folks were dwarfed by the amount of idolatrous, false prophets, people happy to cash in. Jeroboam embraced the worship of God to make people loyal to him because he looked reverent. He appeared sincere. It looked like, man, this guy really is is righteous. He fears God. Look at these sacrifices. Look at these high places he's set up. 
This promotion of idolatry, it had a knock-on effect that was exactly as Jeroboam feared. Could you turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles 11, 13 through 16? This knock-on effect is not mentioned in Kings, so I wanted to go to the Chronicles passage. That's 2 Chronicles chapter 11, starting in verse 13. Those priests and Levites who were loyal to the Lord, when they saw what Jeroboam was doing, they abandoned their common lands where they lived, and they all went to Rehoboam and all went to Jerusalem. They left because they weren't, they weren't going to be part of what was happening in the northern kingdom with this idolatry. 2 Chronicles 11, verse 13. And from all their territories, the priests and the Levites who were, all is, who were in all Israel took their stand with him, in context, Rehoboam. For the Levites left their common lands and their possessions and came to Judah and Jerusalem. For Jeroboam and his sons had rejected them from serving as priests to the Lord. Then he appointed for himself priests for the high places, for the demons and the calf idols which he had made. After, and after the Levites left, those from all the tribes of Israel, such as set their heart to seek the Lord God of Israel, came to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord God of their fathers." Those Levites, those priests, they left their lands, they left their possessions, and they went to Jerusalem to, in obedience to the Lord. And it says the people, when the people saw the Levites and the priests leaving, those who feared God, they also left. They left their inheritance to go to Jerusalem because that's where God was. He was going to be their inheritance. They took their stand with Rehoboam, with God, to hold fast to what God had said. They set their hearts, what does it say? To seek the Lord. They would not follow him into sin. Praise the Lord that God gives discernment and guidance to those who seek him. They sought the Lord. They were not led into error. They were not led into idolatry and future judgment for their sin. They did what's right. And it was a sacrifice to leave. It was a sacrifice to leave the familiar and their possessions, but they did so to take a stand. Following the advice of men or our own hearts, it leads to error and sin, but those who seek the Lord, they will have their steps ordered by him. Praise the Lord, he guides, he directs, and he, he was worth the sacrifice of leaving their homes and leaving their stuff because he would supply all their needs. Even in a world filled with idolatry and sin, we can remain upright and strong. We don't have to be swept up into every false wind of doctrine because we have the Scripture and we have the Lord who has us. He's the one who speaks, and we hear Him. This division of the northern and the southern kingdoms, that was from the Lord, and this caused another division, a division amongst the people of who would stand with God and who would go after the idols. Are we willing to do what some say is inconvenient and unnecessary in obedience to God? Because he's told us to do it. Do we trust him? Even moving house, leaving our stuff behind. I mean, that's, that's pretty wild when you think about it. But it doesn't matter what other people do. The question is, are you seeking the Lord? Are you looking to him for guidance? 
Will you trust and obey him? Whether you know if this, this trouble that you're facing is from him or not, or, or what's the cause of it, because really, at the end of the day, are you going to seek the Lord in the place where you find yourself, knowing that he is going to speak to you and he is going to help you? He's provided for all your needs. There's going to be plot twists and unexpected turmoil in life that God allows, totally out of our control. But let's be those who trust and obey Him, who seek Him in all seasons, in all circumstances. Let's take our stand with Him. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word and this example of the folly of looking to men the folly of following our own heart and the fears and worries that consume us. Father, thank you that when we seek you, we will have guidance for the day. It may just be you want us to go home, to put down the sword. Thank you that you also uh, just guide us day by day, not just in the big stuff, but in day by day uh, instances. We pray, Lord, that you would put in us a heart of faith that seeks you, that believes there is salvation and hope and have an expectation. We will hear from you, and you're not going to leave us alone. You won't forget about us. You won't uh, leave us desolate, but you will help. You will guide, and you will provide. I pray that we would follow this good example, Lord, of the priests and Levites who were sanctified to serve you, that they chose to seek God and to sacrifice to God, not to try to please men or even kings. Lord, we are yours. You have bought us, and you deserve everything. We worship you and praise you that you have done all things well. In Jesus' name, amen.